Welcome to the Professional Troublemaker Podcast. This is the place where we help you cultivate the courage, authenticity, and audacity you need to use your voice, take up space, and live a life that is so bold, even your wildest dreams say goals. I'm your host, Lovia Jai Jones, New York Times bestselling author, sought-after speaker, and side-eye sorceress, bringing you thought-provoking conversations with amazing people who have taken action and have consistently showed up with the courage and confidence they needed to become the fear fighters they are today. Like the late, great John Lewis said, these are the kind of people who are never, ever afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble. Before we jump into today's interview, Know that this podcast is named after my second book, Professional Troublemaker, The Fear Fighter Manual, which hits bookstore shelves on March 2nd, 2021. How would our lives be different if we were given permission to be disruptors for the greater good? How far would we have gone if we already knew that our jobs aren't to shy away from big things, but to run towards them? How dope would our legacy be if we knew that fear is natural and we're actually supposed to do the things that scare us? How audacious would we be if imposter syndrome wasn't holding on to our ankles? In my new book, I talk about all these things and how my life has transformed as a result of being the person who committed to doing the things that feel bigger than me, doing the things that feel scary as shit, and things that make me lose my breath. This book is dedicated to my late grandmother, Fumilayo Falloin, who was a professional troublemaker I looked up to when I was growing up. You know what you can say to an elderly Nigerian stateswoman who has been through the darkness of life and conquered all the mountains placed in her way? Not a damn thing. That spirit, those lessons, and that fortitude is the energy that I brought to this book. So you know it's anointed. The Fear Fighter Manual is game-changing, and I know it. So if you value this show, if you value the guests and their stories, the lessons, the wisdom, and inspiration I bring to you, If you've ever listened to something I said and wrote it down, you will love Professional Troublemaker, the Fear Fighter Manual. If you want to commit to fighting fear, imposter syndrome, and constantly finding courage in this scary world, this book is for you. So I need your help. I need you to help make this book a rousing success. I need you like I needed you for my first book, I'm Judging You, the Do Better Manual. Y'all helped me change my life by supporting it and making it a New York Times bestseller. And I need your help to do that again because this book is needed and I think it will leave a mark on you. I know it actually. We need to become professional troublemakers and this manual that I wrote, this book that I wrote, will help you make it happen. So be sure to pre-order Professional Troublemaker today, wherever books are sold, or go to professionaltroublemakerbook.com. You can get the hardcover, the paperback, or audiobook, which I narrated. So the URL is professionaltroublemakerbook.com. I'm so excited for you to read it. Today, I am talking to my Nija Voltron Squad sister, Jessica O. Matthews. Here's why Jessica is a professional troublemaker and someone I wanted to make sure I talked to on this podcast. First, Jessica might be the most brilliant human being I know. She's got two degrees from Harvard. She's been on the cover of Forbes twice. She's been named Harvard Scientist of the Year. But instead of just resting on her brilliant overachieving accomplishments, she's taken that brilliance and used it for the good of others. At the age of 19, Jessica invented the socket ball, an energy generating soccer ball that provides off-grid power for the developing world. At the age of 22, 
she founded Uncharted Power, her company that was previously called Uncharted Play. It's a global full service power technology company that builds, owns, and operates renewable power infrastructure in Africa and the United States. She's someone who is a problem solver at her core and absolutely unwilling to accept the status quo. She refuses to let people suffer or live a life that is less than if there's a way to solve that problem. During our conversation, we talk about what pushed her to start down this path of working to revolutionize energy and infrastructure, why she considers God to be her biggest inventor in her life and career, and why black women will save the world if they'll step up and start taking the risk they need to take in this world. And as a programming note, we recorded this conversation before the 2020 election. So you'll hear some of those references in this interview. Let's jump in. It's a good one. Do you remember the first time we met? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it was uh, Well, the first first time we met was at Oprah's uh, Super Soul. Yeah. Right? It was Oprah's Super Soul. And we were like, I right, dope, dope. And then the like, time we really, really got to connect was Afrotech 2016. Yeah. And I think you sat in the odd, I think you saw me speak. I don't know, like, right? Yeah. And, and you were like, this girl's the lovey of energy. Like, yes. what is this? You were like, like I was out there just like Def Jam comedy <laughs> special, like, just like out here saying all this wild shit, tight pants, Ikebe and all, Y'all, doing all the things. With the, with the Ralph Lauren blazer. With the Ralph Lauren, listen, I brought I some of the blazers. I was like, I see her, that's me if I was in energy. Like, yep. I was like, we yep. gotta be friends, G, because I Yo. see her. I was in the back like, oh, we gotta meet. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm about this. Like, I'm all over it. And since then, Yo. that's my boo thing. Yo, if you had told me four years later that we'd be, <laughs> I would have gotten way more lit that weekend. <laughs> I would have been like, y'all, count down to the darkness. To the darkness. Okay, the dark realm. We I find ourselves in some interesting times. Interesting times. Oh, my gosh. So I always get started by asking people, oh. what did you want to be when you were growing up? Ooh. When I was really young, like every good Nigerian child, I wanted to be a doctor. Of course. But then I was like, blood? I, first of all, I got shaky hands, so that seems... <laughs> I was just like, mm, I don't know if it should be me. And then, <laughs> and then I was like, I'm not really feeling this blood stuff. I don't like gore. So I was like, how exactly am I expecting to be an effective doctor? Then I knew I loved to invent though, right? Like my whole thing is that like, I'm trying to be like the love child of Beyonce and Bill Nye the science guy, like in yes. everything I'm doing. So yes. I knew I wanted to be like an inventor. I knew I loved kind of like tinkering and doing all that stuff. Uh, so first I thought, how do you operationalize that in a career? I thought, oh, science, doctor. Then I looked at biomedical engineering for a little bit, a quick bit. By college, gosh, no, by high school, I think is when I was like, oh, probably like some sort of like lawyer. I got really into psychology. Um, okay, we literally are the same because you know my major in psychology was, was psychology in college. Yep, yep. I got into psychology in college. I was like, I literally, I was like, what am I gonna do, what am I gonna do? And then the, like senior year when it was time to choose majors, I was just like, I was going between sociology and psychology, sociology and psychology. And, and there were enough things that happened like to my family, especially where, and then you know this, right? Half the battle for everybody, but especially Nigerians, especially anybody I think in the developing world is right up here. 
Yeah. And I started to see that like a lot of the things that I thought were wrong with the world were very much based on how people perceived their world and how people then decided to like organize themselves in their world. Um, and so, you know, for me, I actually got into what I do right now, not because I was obsessed with energy, like, but more because I was really obsessed with the concept of self-actualization and living a life that when you did kind of reach your last day, you had no real regrets. And I felt like the way to kind of be successful in that was to study psychology. And so I got a degree in psych. Um, and again, I knew it would be applied psychology, but ended up falling into entrepreneurship, I guess. And once you're in it, you're ruined for everything else. I can't work for anybody else. It would be a disaster. Girl, it would be a, I would get fired so fast. Oh, I wouldn't come to shit. I wouldn't come <laughs> to work. I'll be, oh, I wouldn't do, you have to, I'd be the worst employee possible. So that's it. See, okay. So, so how was your family encouraging you when you were saying, hey, I want to do this thing. I want to do this thing. Because again, to the point of it all, a lot of us are failed doctors. A lot, so many people that I've talked to is like, yeah, I went to be a doctor at first. So many of us. I, I don't think I've actually talked to one doctor on this podcast, but I, there's probably been at least 30 people who've been like, yeah, I went to be a doctor. Because what it takes to actually go through with it, I don't know. A lot of doctors come out, life, listen, I appreciate you, but like, like they had to go through a lot. They had to go through a lot. Um, how did my family, so... I mean, I had the luck of having an older sister who did wilder shit. You know what I mean? So Tiana, Tiana went to Harvard before me, like she, two years older than me. Tiana told my dad that she was getting a degree in economics all four years through when she was actually getting a degree in visual and environmental studies, which is film. Graduation day comes, they say, Tiana Ehinome, not, they didn't even know how to pronounce her middle name, but Tiana Ehinome Idoni Matthews, visual and environmental studies. And my dad goes, ah, eh? Especially because the whole time she was like, I need books. I need like, oh, these economics books are so expensive. They're so expensive. I need money for economics books. Yo. So she graduates. So at graduation day, my dad doesn't even get out of the car. He just like drives away. <laughs> so, so now you have the Nigerian daughter who is doing film, right? So that, that's the juxtaposition. So I come and I was like, you know what, dad, I'll add a minor in economics. Don't worry. Um, and, and then I was like, hey, well, I had already invented something at the age of like 19, right? So I invented, when I was 19, this energy generating soccer ball that would harness the energy from play and store that power inside the ball. So I already had this invention when I was 19, added economics. By senior year, I applied to Harvard Business School and got in and deferred for two years. So I was able to spend two years, I went to go and work for a startup while I was working on my startup, but I had created like, a, it really wasn't a risk. It was like this safe space kind of thing. And within six months of me graduating, I was on stage with Bill Clinton. So I, I didn't really have that much pushback because I had like a lot of validation. I was lucky. See, we, we, got, we got to go back. Because I know, I just said a lot. Like Jess just dropped about seven <laughs> slight flexes. But yes. like, who the hell? Again, just <laughs> like you want to talk about excellence, you're like, yeah, you know, at 19, I'd already done this, and I'm already, you know, it's, it's whatever. No, Jess, no, ma'am, no, ma'am. I'm, I'm gonna slow you down a little bit and bring us way back because you just said seven things that made my head explode. 
that I'm just like, what? Okay, first of all, your sister told your parents that she was doing economics and basically did, got a film degree. Yeah, well, my sister, my sister told everybody but my dad. My dad is always the last to find out everything. Um, mostly because he can't handle it. Like, he can't handle... I remember when she got a belly button ring, everybody knew, and then something happened in high school. Tiana's going to be like, why are you spending this time talking about me? But, like, <laughs> but, and she, like, got sick, and she had to go to the emergency room, and my dad saw it and saw the belly button ring was just like, Florence, Florence, what is this? What are you, handing out condoms, too? Like, like what is like my mom was... And my mom stays playing dumb, just like, what? Huh? I don't need, I, I didn't know she did this. Yes, you did. Mom, you took her to that shit. Like, <laughs> so he never knows what's popping. Uh, but yeah, she she dropped it on him that day. Um, and so then, okay, now take us back to the fact that you, your major is psychology. Mm-hmm. What made you invent a soccer ball at 19? <clears throat> You're in college, in undergrad, and you just sit in your dorm one day and said, let me invent something. Nah, 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 nah. Right. So I wish it was... Actually, no, I'm happy that it wasn't that easy because I told you, like, kind of like the quick gloss, everything was amazing story, but we all have to have our moments where we, where we fall and our moments where we're like, ooh. You know when you, like, either touch the stove or you get close enough to be like, this, I'm not doing this. So, yeah. you know, I, I had a pretty kind of straightforward way of going through high school. Um, you know, I did well at sports, I did well at school, I, you know, I ran clubs, whatever. <clears throat> and so I came into college, one, not really having, not really knowing how much of a goal-oriented person I am, not really acknowledging that I would need a new strategy for success. Mm-hmm. I honestly, this is actually a theme in my life. I made the mistake of coming into Harvard and thinking, there's no way I'm ever going to be like academically competitive. Oh, these people are all so smart. They all went to these fancy academies. I just went to this school in upstate New York. Um, So like, I didn't even think about academics. I didn't think about what I wanted to accomplish and get out of my time at Harvard. The goal was just to get into Harvard. And once I got in there, I didn't really know what to do with myself. And I thought that I had all my shit together not knowing that actually was living in my mom's house with all her damn rules that made my shit make sense. So I'm out there way too close to CVS, just eating all the candy I want because I love candy and just like, just not making no damn sense because I lost all this structure that I had. Um, And my freshman year was a mess. I think I ended it with like a 2.5 GPA. Like I was asked to leave for a bit of time, Harvard. and no, like, and like, it was not good. Like, and I, like, I was, so I'm like waitressing over the summer um, and like the first quarter of sophomore year, um, trying to get my mom to look at me in a way that doesn't look like the, the disapp- I would have rather gone to prison. The disappointment oh. that I've ever seen in her face because I just totally fucked up. Um, and so, I had to work, I had to work, convince him to let me back in, second semester of sophomore year. And, um, and my mom said, Ose, you better graduate on time. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna stack these degrees. So I stacked these classes. But when I came back in, everything was different. So I told myself, okay, one, you have got to be very clear about what you are trying to accomplish and have an incredible intention with everything you do. 
So there are a couple things I started to do. One, I started to create a daily checklist of things that I wanted to accomplish that was always longer than what I could feasibly accomplish in one day because I never wanted to get satisfied with myself. Mm. Two, I told myself that anything I did, the standard wouldn't be how I thought I would do compared to everyone else, but whether or not I would finish this feeling good about the work I put in and feeling good about how it resulted. And so there were still some hiccups going through, but I ended up graduating with um, a cumulative GPA 3.7. So I basically got all A's from then on. Um, I ended up choosing, I ended up being at the top of a few of the classes that I thought, oh, how could that even be possible? Ended up seeing this class that was called Idea Translation, Affecting Change Through Art and Science my sophomore year. And it looked like a cool way to get some money from the school to try out cool ideas. And I always loved to invent growing up. And uh, it was like, this seems interesting. Let's see where it'll, where it'll take me. And so I took the class. And of course, if I'm in this class, I'm gonna try to get an A because I need to get an A because my shit was wild. And so I brought my full self there and there was a problem. Like, and there needed to be an idea and a solution that could blend art and science to solve a problem. I thought about Nigeria. I thought about power. I thought about the psychology of how pe- people have just des- decided that this is the status quo, at least back then, you know, this is just kind of what the world should be. And I thought I wanted to create a psychological innovation more than anything else. I, at the time, I knew the problem was infrastructural, classic Jess. I was like, oh, that's too big. That's too scary to actually address. But maybe I can address a psych- the psychological problem of my own cousin's who are engineers themselves who can't imagine a world where there's a better solution for how we get the sustainable infrastructure we need. And so that's what led to an invention of a soccer, soccer ball that can generate energy. So, okay, walk me through that. When you, yep. like, what even got you the idea of like, okay, I think I'll use a soccer ball. Okay, well, what's the most popular sport that we see everybody play in Nigeria, whether they have a ball or not, whether they're good at it or not? Soccer. What's the one thing that usually like Nigerians are just like, well, it is what it is. It is what it is. It is what it is about like the way the world is around them, right? For their own personal thing, they believe in the stars. The banana leaf sweeper will think he could be president. Something could happen. But usually everything is, it is what it is. But when you see people actually on the pitch and they're playing, that's when you see the real braggadocious kind of like, oh, I'm going to show you I can do this. Yeah. So for me, it was being there over the summer, seeing that, being like, this is dope. It was, so it was actually a two-part thing, I would say. One was uh, I was there for my aunt's wedding, 17 years old. Same thing. You see it, everyone's playing. It's cool. We lose power. It's expected, yada, yada. And I remember very specifically the fumes being so bad that one time that I started to complain. And my cousin said, don't worry, you'll get used to it. And I thought that was bullshit. And I was like, bruh, like, this doesn't feel like something people should get used to. And I remember juxtaposing that in my mind to when they were playing um, with, it wasn't even a soccer ball, but whatever they were playing with at the time. And seeing them kind of have that kind of passion and excitement and thinking, it's almost like two different people in two different worlds. Yeah, and that yeah. needs to be brought together. But I didn't necessarily, you know, have any thought there then. Um, but then when we came back to the States, that year was a tough year, especially for my mom. She lost her sister, who's young, who was younger than I am now. She lost her brother-in-law and she lost her father. 
all in one year. <clears throat> and I remember thinking, like, damn, like, life is, like, like death is just so real. Mm. And there's nothing you can do to, to get rid of that, right? But I, I have this urge to try to solve problems. Like, I, I truly... I kind of take pride in the concept of being a world-class problem solver and always trying to kind of find a way through. And so it broke my heart that my family, the members who had passed away, likely passed away believing what my cousins believed, that like most of the problems that you should just get used to it. And so that was what kind of gave me the push. I like to say innovation lives between a rock and a hard place, right? And so for me, the rock was actually just this overall experience at my aunt's wedding, and seeing that, but the hard place that actually pushed me to do something and really start to kind of be very focused on that was these members of my family passing away. That's what gave me the urgency. Um, and then the focus and the structure came from this class. I knew I had to get an A. We were, it was a group project, but I got the A. Everyone else did not because I was like, well, well this is what we're going to do. Let's, <laughs> let's organize it. And we locked ourselves in a room and I was like, we got to come up with something that's going to wow the professor and I, you know, I think someone was throwing around a ball, right? And I was like, all right, well, how about this? Why don't we do this? They gave us a prompt, a, a massively multiplayer game. None of us played video games. We thought that was dumb. We're like, soccer, it's a massively multiplayer game, mm. right? And it's like, okay, problem. I know this is a direct problem. The other girls had had some time uh, overseas too. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we've seen this. And I was like, I know that this specific thing will unlock a world for people. Because Nigeria, for those who don't know, yeah. Nigeria has an energy problem where, you know, light will go. You know, it will be a blackout, except it's not an exception. It's like the rule. People are expecting that any moment you might end up in the dark and you don't know when the light will come back on. Multiple Nigeria, times a day. Multiple times a day. You might be out of light for three days for no reason. And Nigeria being such an oil-rich uh, country that is not poor, right? Yeah. Most people are poor, but that's a separate issue. Nigeria having that problem is yeah. massively ridiculous. Like it is just yep. such a, a quality of life problem. It is a mass, but it's something that people are just like, eh, it is what it is right for such a long time. So that's what Jess is talking about. So, yep. all right. So you came up with the idea to use a soccer ball to harness energy. Yep. That was it. And the, you know, it was never to like solve all the world's problems. It was just yeah. like, we got to break the way people think. It was always meant to be a psychological innovation, right? So that's where I go back to my degree in psychology. It's like anyone can create a thing, yeah. but only some people can create something that will change how people think and will change how people view the world. Yeah. And I felt like that was the way I could make the biggest impact. If you can inspire enough people to believe that things can be different and yeah. to believe that they can play a role in the way things are different, to me, that's the best chance of, of things actually being different. It's like recruiting people. And so it was designed to be a recruitment tool, um, designed to be at first just a class project. What ended up happening over the course of like what's been now 33, you know, I'm 30, gonna be 33 next year. So yeah, about 13, 14 years was, I think it was most effective as a recruitment tool for me because I had no interest in engaging in energy. And I'm right now, I'm at the helm of an award-winning sustainable infrastructure company with like people like on the team whose careers started a year after I was born. Mm. And it's because like, 
Gosh. Well, one, I, I have a, an acronym that I say. I say that uh, luck is laboring under correct knowledge. Mm. And so I felt lucky when I had this idea with the socket and it really caught people. People were like into it. And so I was like, I don't know when I'm going to have a, no, be lucky again. I don't know when it's going to be a lucky idea. So let me see what, what I can do with this. And so I, I kept on investing my time and my thoughts and my intention into pushing and seeing where this would go. And I never got overly distracted by the glitz, right? Like there were some people who just wanted me to make 1 billion socket balls. And I was like, mm, but that's not actually going to solve the problem. That's just going to be 1 billion soccer balls everywhere. Some people wanted me to do this and do that. And I kept on kind of pushing and pushing forward and getting more and more into this world of like, yeah, why is it that a rich country like Nigeria, why is this the problem? Why is it that in 2020, right, let's look at this from a global perspective, even in the U.S., in 2020, we had natural disasters that are wreaking havoc like on our entire planet at an exponential rate. We have millions of kids who lack basic access to broadband internet to go to school. We have cities that are facing unprecedented budget deficits so they cannot provide the services that you needed even before COVID, let alone with COVID. We have marginalized groups feeling even more left behind. All of this in a world where we all can talk talking about hovercrafts and AI and 5G. The fuck? What are we talking about? Why is it that we have all of these technologies and we still have the world that we live in? Yep. And it took me over a decade to figure out why. And once we figured it out, right, like me and the team, we were like, all right, bet. This is what we're going to work on fixing. Right? And it started because of power. It, I would say that we would not be where we are if if I wasn't coming from the perspective of being a Nigerian American who knew that power infrastructure was not good enough, mm. we wouldn't be where we are. Every single other company, every other founder, every other CEO, even the, the, the Jeff Bezos and the Elon Musk of the world, whoever's in this game, they all were operating from the perspective where power works when you flip the switch and it goes on. So they built technology on top of an archaic system around power. Yeah. I was operating from the perspective of knowing that it does not scale, it does not work. And so we built from a layer below. And now, as far as I'm concerned, we're designing cost-effective, smart, sustainable communities that they could only dream to, of doing. Imagine being in an online space where people's foolishness doesn't make you want to fight the air. That might sound impossible with your current choices for social media, but I was sick of waiting through nonsense to find like-minded people. So I created my online community. And if you're the kind of person who is striving to be a professional troublemaker and fight fear, we need you to join us in that community because you need people to cheer you on. Love Nation is my online community and app that is a safe space in a dumpster fire world. It's the place for the most thoughtful, funny, most chill deficient people on these interwebs. We're a community that comes together to make each other better with curated conversations, opportunities to connect, and challenges to help us transform and do better in every area of our lives. So I want you to come in there, join us, become a citizen of Love Nation. So go to lovenation.com, L-U-V-V-N-A-T-I-O-N. Download the app in the App Store or on your Android. It's on iOS and Android. And come on through. All right. Back to the podcast. So you created the soccer ball in this classroom. Yep. Got your psych degree. Yep. How did you now end up on that stage with Bill Clinton? How did you now end up building the company? Yeah, so 
Oh man, let's take this back. Yep, take us so, back. Had gotten in, right? So applied, applied for senior year, not junior year. Applied senior year. Actually, thought I was going to try to do my JD MBA. Okay. Um, again, classic Nigerian, just collecting degrees as necessary, Collect, possible. Hey, collecting I'm degrees. Wow. Hey. Um, started studying for the LSATs and was like, this shit's hard. I was like, this shit seems unnecessarily hard. Took a practice test. Was like, it's going to require a lot of work to get the score I want to get. I was like, I don't really know. Spent, so then I was just like, I don't feel like doing this right now. Signed, signed up for the GMATs, studied for a week, took the GMATs, got a great score, and was like, all right, this is fine. I don't care. So, like, literally, like, tip number one, take the GMATs. LSATs are not, they're too hard for, no good, no, not necessary. So, <laughs> took the GMATs, got in, and I was like, all right, so I, I got a little bit of, like, a period to kind of experiment with some stuff. You got to Harvard Business School. Harvard Business School, yeah. Went to go and work for a startup. I was the first female hire, one of the first 10 people hired for this company. And um, <laughs> it was funny, like I was, we were still kind of working like in one kind of, a little bit some of the girls from the group class, even though that started to kind of fall apart very quickly because there were just, a, you know, there, you know, it's a group project. So there are some people who are just showing up and you're just like, why is this person in here? Like, <laughs> um, but so we had applied for a grant and had gotten it through the Clinton Clinton Foundation. Yeah. The, and as part of that, you know, we were invited to be on stage with him and like the co-founder of YouTube and like two people from his cabinet. Um, yeah, the Clinton Global Institute, I think. Um, and I was like, all oh, right, that's dope. I think it was like April of 2011. Okay. And uh, I was still working for this other company. And I think like two things happened. One, just in working for the startup and seeing what was going on, I was able to learn a lot about how startups work and see that like, it's not really about the age that you are to say that you will definitely be successful in starting your company. Like I saw the CEO of the company and he had done some things before and I saw what he was doing, but I was like, I also saw mistakes he was making and it wasn't about not making mistakes. It was about realizing that no matter what you do, you will make mistakes when you launch your own venture. So yeah. I asked myself, I was like, well, it'll be a lot cuter if I make these mistakes in my 20s than in my 30s. I was like, mm. I was like, oh, like, I already know that like, he's not looking that cute at 35 right now making these mistakes, but me at 23 will be hella cute. Like, I'm like, oh, whoopsies. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, I feel like, why am I waiting so long? Let me just jump in. Go on this stage uh, with, with Bill Clinton. It was this dope experience. I'm like, woof, wow. Like, look where I am. Like this guy, like these are really legit people. And he said the nicest stuff about me. Deadass, the Clintons have always been such a supporter of mine that I'm just like, like him and Hillary and Chelsea. And I'm just, ooh, when 2016 happened, I, I could have been had, I could have had a cabinet position, y'all. Like would have been secretary of like, energy. Shit. Yo. And I'm just like, damn, damn. <laughs> um, no, but like, he just said the <laughs> the nicest things I think a white man has ever said about a black woman and her brain and her intellect. He mm -hmm. said, if ever there was an innovator, she's it. Wow. He's like, like he said on stage publicly, publicly. That's why I'm just like, y'all need to like, he didn't have to say these things. He didn't have to invite me. He didn't have to do. And it was another black woman like in his cabinet, like some head of science lady that was there on that stage too. And when he said these things and he asked me, he's like, so what's next? 
I didn't have the guts to tell him that it was only my part-time gig. And I was like, all right. And I said some stuff, came back, and I was like, y'all, Bill Clinton believes in me, so um, this is my two weeks' notice. Uh, I gotta, I, I got to go. So by May, that was in April, by May, I was full-time. <laughs> and how did you get, how does one get started creating an energy company? <sighs> one step, one day at a time. One day at a time, one hour at a time. Mm. Uh, I, I like to say, you know, the, the trick to thinking big is to think small, especially when you don't really know where something's going to go, right? And I, I think that we often think that we have to have a full plan, fully baked out before we can launch something, but that's not how life works. And sometimes these ventures, right? Like, think about you, right? Like, you didn't sit down one day and say, okay, I'm going to stop doing this because first I'm going to write this book and then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to write this book and then this is going to happen. Yeah. If you had tried to do that, you would have still been sitting there jotting out freaking beautiful, beautiful mind and shit on the wall, like some crazy, yeah. <laughs> like that'd yeah. be it. So sometimes you're like, all right, I have an opportunity right now where like Bill Clinton is not a dumb person and he seems to think this is dope, Right that's enough of a reason to give this a shot. And worst case scenario, I got business school. So I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I made so many mistakes, you wouldn't even believe it. But let's go, let's see, let's run with it. And like, I didn't even have a vision beyond just trying to make the soccer ball real. Like now, we, you know, we're about to break ground in like an actual city to transform the, the sidewalks and roads into like a platform for all of the infrastructure communities need at like no cost to the city. That's what I'm doing now. And back then I was just trying to make a soccer ball make sense. I was just trying to figure out supply chain. That was before I went to Shenzhen and everybody thought I was Serena Williams and I had to like, you know, like, I, yo, that was before everything. I did not know what I didn't know, but I knew that if I didn't take this opportunity, I would regret it. Mm. And so you Google a lot, you Google, man, I have a PhD in Google. I should, I should own Google. Like I, you Google like crazy and you get comfortable being uncomfortable and you just go a little easy on yourself when you make the mistakes that you're going to make. And hopefully you don't make any mistakes you can't come back from. You will get sued. You will need a lawyer. You will find that the lawyer that you didn't pay, that the lawyer that you got because you were broke will not be a good enough lawyer for the things you need to do. You will need to, like... It's trial and error because a lot of times people are so afraid and to your point. I love that, that idea of like, you, you gotta think small to think big because yeah, people always want to have the full strategy. How am I going to get there? Sometimes you don't got the map to the promised land. You just got to trust that. Especially black women. We, we want to have the full map because we have so many responsibilities. White men do not. White men bear, haven't thought it through from A to C, let alone D, E, F, C. Like, we over here with Z, like, you know, Z, Z2, Z4. Like, it, and we miss our chances a lot um, because we're not just in it. And it's it's hard, though. You you do have to be in a situation where you both, you have opportunity and you have to try to limit your responsibility a little bit. Like, I was responsible for myself. Yeah. To a certain extent, you know, my, my family in some ways, but like, I remember when I was splitting time between business school and the company, the hardest two years of my life still to this day, as hard as this pandemic was not harder than the two years I spent as a full-time business school student and a full-time CEO. Cause I was in Boston and I was in New York, literally commuting 
about mm, eight to 10 hours every single week. In New York City, I lived in a crawl space above my office where I got concussed twice because if I got up too quickly, I'd hit the concrete over my head. Like the wildest, wildest shit. I remember studying for exams, driving to go and raise my first seed round, like in traffic. Wildest, wildest. And I had no concept of how self-care would play a role in my ability to lead. And so I just, I let my whole body and life go. Um, And yeah, and. And what years was that? 2013? Yeah, how do you, yeah, yeah. You could, um, 20, I got in fall of 2012. That's when I started. So it was like 2013, 2014. Yo, that's, I can't even imagine. It was, it was like. It was crazy. It was, it was insane. I was what you young. Time, what do you think that time, like, what did you walk away with besides the degree during that time? Oh, I remember thinking that I could do anything mm. because I remember that it was so hard. It took up so much time that after that, no matter how busy I was, I would never be that busy. Mm. Like I would wake up each morning and I would make, Runa tea and I'd put Red Bull Zero in the tea. And I'd go to I'd go to class and like I remember one time I like yelled at a professor because I was just like I don't, like I just she says I think she called me Jennifer instead of Jessica and I was like it's Jessica. Like I was just like damn this is like <laughs> I had to go later to her and be like I would like to apologize for uh scaring you. Uh <laughs> Because you was in Harvard Gully and shit. Ooh, I was like, it, I was like, oh, um, yeah, <laughs> mistake. Uh, you know, yeah, it was, I knew I could never let myself go entirely like that, you know, uh, and there would still be things I'd have to figure out in terms of self-care just in the way life goes. Uh, but I, the biggest, biggest thing I took away from that was ain't nothing ever going to be as hard. Like, when you push yourself and you know what you can do, I, and truly, like I said, like every, I can't think of any time that was harder, that took more of me, that took more energy, where I felt more lost. I had no one to talk to, no, no advisor, no one to say, here's how you balance it. Here's how you think about this or that. Nothing like that. Um, trail for real yeah yeah it, it, it was it, you also realize just how different you are too from some people in business school like people had ways of how they thought about things that were so different for me and I remember just being in business school being like I don't I didn't get that from the case I thought this or I thought that and so even I know in business like I'm not your like standard like American psycho business person like I'm just that's not me I'm I use business not as like an ends, but as a tool to like achieve self-actualization, have an impact. You know, I treat God as my biggest investor. Like, so like I would always, like I would sit there and be like, yo, I don't know why God gave me so much, but I feel like if these quarterly reports are up to par, he's not going to take away. So I'm like, what's the ROI that you are giving God on the gifts he gave you? Because he might be like, well, I want to divest. So that's how I, so I went through the whole thing where like, I was like, I don't know about all this. I get it, I guess, but only within reason of the fact that like 
God is my actual investor. And what I'm not trying to do is have a, a board meeting one day and be like, what about that evil shit you did here and here and here? How are you going to account for that? So that's always been the way I have thought about my business and what I do and just what gets me up in the morning, right? Like there has to be a balance of, yes, like, you know, listen, make money, do well, drive things forward. But it, and that devoid of just like who you are as a person, can you look yourself in the mirror? Are you creating a better world for people? Are you making sure that more people on this planet feel good about the lives that they've lived when they die? Yes. If all that stuff isn't part of it, just, it just doesn't really get I me. I mean, excited. here's the thing is, to your point about God, your career and the space that you're taking up is anointed. There's nothing about it that does not feel anointed. You are running a global power company as a black woman who's not even 35 yet and commanding res- respect. You are doing this like world changing work. And I'm always in awe because there isn't another Jessica Matthews. Like, even if you were to look for another Jessica Matthews, she doesn't exist, even if you were to look. And the fact that your name is next like Elon Musk in terms of the work that you're doing for power is amazing. So let's talk now about what you were getting to earlier in terms of when you realized the real problem beyond the soccer ball, the real problem that you were trying to solve, what was that problem? Yo, so this is wild. Like... I would love to say that it happened like super clean. Like first I thought it was this and then I realized, but it's never anything that's really hard and where they're kind of hiding the ball because the, like the people who are in this industry, I think that they know that if they were very articulate and clear about their problem, like they would be in trouble. And so they don't always want to say it out loud. And it was, it was a digging process. Right. So what was great about the socket is that it put me in the room. And I was like, I don't even know if I want to be in this room, but I got in the room. You know, once you're in there, you're like, well, let me see if I could like, dust this off. Let me, let me, you know, let me make it comfortable. Let me see what's going on. And so, you know, for me, it was, I think it was, a, it was like a process of like three realizations over the course of a decade. Mm-hmm. Eight years, right? First, I thought, Yo, I knew the infrastructure, correlated that like this was an infrastructural problem. Ain't no soccer ball gonna solve the world's energy problems. But I thought that one of the biggest issues was inspiration. I saw my own cousins, you know, who are chemical, electrical, industrial engineers being like, there's nothing we can do. And I was like, there needs to be a way for you to realize that there is something you can do. So I create a soccer ball to inspire and generally start doing energy generating play problems. Explain what the soccer ball did exactly. So basically... There was a dynamo mechanism inside of the ball. I'm trying to think about a simple way to explain it. So basically, you know what? Let me do it in non-scientist terms for y'all. Okay. (laughs) So Jessica invented a soccer ball that as people are playing with the ball, it's harnessing energy. Mm -hmm. That ball, because it's already harnessed energy, can then go to help you charge your phone. Yeah. So she also, she invented like all the things. Jump rope that could do it too. Jump rope. I have the jump rope. Yeah, my, my jump rope was right here. You had the jump rope. You have the stroller. You know, as you're yep. pulling the stroller, pushing the stroller, it's harnessing energy. You can plug your phone into the stroller. So that is the very basic, one hundred one yep. version of what Jess invented. All right, continue. Yes. So, so I started first, and I was like, let's create things that generate energy 
from normal life, but started with play because I was like, if you are playing and doing something fun and then getting the power that you need, psychologically, that opens a door from a tangible, accessible world into what's being perceived as like a scary, inaccessible world that is energy. So the idea was to create these play products as a door for people to walk through so that we can have more people thinking about what the future of energy should look like. Yes. I ended up walking through that door too and being like, oh shit, okay, what's popping? So then, you know, we're pushing, we're pushing. And I'm like, this is cool but I don't really see us solving the problem. I'm still sitting in the dark half the time when I'm in Nigeria, so we're not there yet. And we can't just all be playing with soccer balls. So then I was like, all right, bet maybe we need to create like a model because it's not just about energy generation. There's also about how energy gets where it's going and how you store it. So we start to build our IP and just a different way of thinking about all three of those things. And that's when we started working with the good babies of the world for the strollers, different companies, you know, Intel saying, here's how you should think about your energy, embedded energy strategy, Um, but mostly on the consumer side still. They said like, okay, it's going to take, it was around 2016 and we were getting ready to like really push on that. And they're like, oh, it's going to be like two, three years of, of, um, testing and certification before you can put a a product out. And I was like, two or three years. And I was like, and I'm like, when are you going to pay me? In two or three years? I was like, all right, I don't know. This is dead. This is dead. That's what happened. I was like, I don't really know how I'm going to survive two to three years. And then I was like, also, if it's going to take two to three years for a stroller, then why am I so afraid of infrastructure? Because that's how long it's going to take for me to put out an infrastructure product. And that's the actual solution. And I started to see the writing on the wall with like some of the consumer products like Fitbit, like whatever. I was like, I feel like infrastructure is where, I feel like all these things are gonna lose investment. I feel like infrastructure where people are gonna start investing. That's where the actual solution is. I've always known that's the problem. And then what, uh, basically 2016, the election happened. And you know, people always talk about Obama being this like incredibly, uh, inspiring guy. Obama did not. Obama is a genius. He did not inspire me to do shit. I saw him and I was like, he's a smart ass man, constitutional scholar. Yes, he should be president. Then Trump got elected. Mm. And I was like, so you mean to tell me this barely literate fool? Barely literate. Not and only not did he run for president and become president that he used to do infrastructure. At that moment, I was like, I've been tripping infrastructure while i'm over here putting myself in this lane people who can barely read are running for president and building infrastructure and i was like nah nick nah 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 called the team i was like we're gonna start building infrastructure i've been fucking around clearly you don't gotta be that smart to do this shit also i might run for president market like because it don't really because it, it clearly you don't i think i could do better if, if it's about who could do better i could do better than him I could definitely, I am 150% smarter than this fool. Like, so anywho, saw that. So thank, you know what? Thank you, Donald Trump. Because if it was not for you, I would not be where I am right now. Just like you said, Obama made you run for president. You made me want to take over the world. So look at that. Mm, (laughs) Because I was like, oh, okay, no worries. So that's when we started working on infrastructure. And that's when we started looking at the ground and what you could build. And we started doing some stuff at energy generating ground, which is cool. But that's when we really realized, we dug in, built a lot of IP, and realized that, this is gonna sound crazy, that the, the, the thing that was needed was not just about power. 
infrastructure is integrated. We use everything together. We use power, we use, you know, broadband, everything's together. And it's all about sustainable infrastructure, right? And so when we start to really dig and look at everything, we were like, every, all these new technologies already exist, as I was saying earlier. So why don't all these communities have them, right? It's almost like you go to a food buffet, a good one, like the ones with the prime rib and the lobster, you know, the good shit. And you're like, oh, I'm about to eat this shit up. And then, and then you're like, all right, bet, where's the tray? And they're like, what tray? All right, where's my plate? What plate? Where's my spoon? And so you're like, so how do you expect me to take this food and eat it at my table? And they look at you and laugh. That's what we, that's the problem. The problem we have right now is that we have all of these technologies that exist, but there is no streamlined way to actually integrate them, deploy them, and manage them in communities. And so the result is piecemeal, expensive solutions that cannot scale. And that's why we don't have renewable power everywhere. That's why we have power cables that a little bit of wind causes a fire in California for months instead of those power cables being in the ground. That's why we, some kids still don't have internet. That's why Flint may not even have clean water. All of this shit is like siloed, archaic shit that people don't really know how to pull together aren't talking to each other so it's all just existing in different planes you try to go to a city and say who manages this this and this it should be one group it's not it's like people don't know what the hell is going on and it's all happening and wild shit's popping off and so i was like wow okay so that means we need to create the tray the plate and the cup That's what we need to create. And so what we built, we took all of our learnings from how to put things in the ground, took out though that energy generation stuff. It doesn't need to be energy. All we needed was a streamlined platform that would allow you to build infrastructure in an integrated manner. So from laying power cables to broadband, to sustainable, durable sidewalks and roads, to managing water pipes. When you, now that's what we built. When you lay our stuff in the ground, yeah. You have a platform to easily integrate all these things in the ground, easily upgrade it and make it serviceable. It's like handing a city an iPhone that is their infrastructure and saying, here are all the apps that you can upgrade whenever you need to. Wow. And we're, yeah, I won't go into the technical ways of how we can, how it subsidizes it, but what's kind of dope is when you then put these papers in the ground. I, I just got to say... <laughs> Black women will save the world. I Amen. you, Black women will save the world because, my God, again, the world needs us. My, we just yeah. out here, like, figure it out. Got it. Just a really rich woman. And when you become president, can I be in the cabinet? Yeah. Like, <laughs> just create a, a, cab, a secretary of state for me. You know what I mean? Just just create a cabinet position for me called Secretary of Side Eye. And my and, job, truth. Oh, and my no. job is to be your anger translator. So yeah. whenever you want to cuss somebody out, you as a president can't cuss them out. Just be like, call my secretary. You of would be Side so Eye. good at that. Kamala used to call you because dead ass, having been in like some private groups with you, I still remember. <laughs> I remember when, I will not say this individual's name, made our team, our sweatshirts for our group. And you were like, I'm sorry, but this is <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. You, feedback. Feedback. You'd be like, you, you go to a president, some prime minister. Uh, prime minister, uh, listen, uh, we appreciate your efforts, but this is not going to work. So it'll work. Just click like that. 
And they'll call you and you give them the, all right, let me give you the diplomatic, even though let's also be clear, Jess is also the anger translator. So I, I don't know if the cabinet needs me because Jess can handle all of that with all the smoke. <laughs> Jess can give all the smoke. So you know what? Again, it would just be a disaster. That's what I'm saying. They don't, because, and that, can we just talk about God willing when this comes out, Lord Jesus, please let this be a, but God help me. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, please, okay, please. let it be Biden and Kamala because honestly, I can't even, if it's not that, we'll have a, we can talk about that. But what I love about Biden and Kamala's race right now is Biden has surrounded himself with black women. Yes. Well, not just any black women who have decided to shave their head and that way they can only focus on their lashes and their fucking earrings. Amen, Simone Sanders, giving looks. Giving it, just like, you know what? Full nail, just like, I'm going to, and if you put enough of us in a space, you, the way we cut through bullshit, you come and say all this noise and we'll be like, right. And like, you can't, how are you going to rattle someone who was built on shaky ground. Come on. How are you going rat? So yeah, like, do I feel like black women are particularly suited to solve the world's problems? Yes. Yes, yes I do. We're constantly solving problems in our lives, at our jobs. We are constantly making ways out of no ways. We'll see a cave and we'll see a wall and say, you know what? All right, so how are we going to break up the wall? Well, all I got is my earrings. Bet. All right, can we make a knife out of the earrings? Yes, we can. Next thing you know, we're on the other side of the wall. Yep. Black women, we are very much poised and created to solve problems. And if people just listen to us more often, the world would be in so much of a better place. We would be much better. Dumpster fire. We always organize. I still go back to this last election. I'm like, black women, we... We, we don't love all the options. Like, like I, I keep hearing from people just like, oh, it's just so horrible that like we're being forced into these options. I just feel like I'm like, don't you live in a wonderful world where you can always get what you want. So when things are uncomfortable, you just don't even want to engage. Do you know that I might as well just kill myself if that's the point? Like, that, like, I'm a, like if my life was always about finding the thing that felt 100% right, that I would be doing nothing. Like, or, do you not understand the luxury, the privilege you have to sit here and complain that you have two uncomfortable options. Whereas the rest of it, you think like we, we all just did what we had to do. We voted, uh, yo, like I said, yo, I really, really wish, I just want everybody who votes for whoever, when it comes time for this to pop off, right? Just be honest, be honest about who you voted for. Tell me what's up, tell me why, tell me what's going on, you know, cause people never want to be honest to black women because you know who we, we always vote for whoever makes the most sense. So people never want to come. People are afraid of getting this heat, you know? And your book, when's your book coming out? Yo, my book comes out, Professional Troublemaker comes out on March 2nd. March 2nd, March 2nd. Yeah. Hopefully by that time, we are focused on how to push Biden and Kamala towards where God wants them to be for all of us and how to fight the violent nonsense of people who are going to think that Trump got robbed. Yes. And that this book will be a handbook in doing that. Yeah. Like I said, alternatively, it will be a shield for the fire and brimstone. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, to your point, half of the battle of the world is getting people to believe in the right thing. Yeah. To believe in their power and to believe that things 
are not necessarily happening at them. Yes. Right? It's not just being thrown at you, that you can actually duck some of it or maybe even throw some of it back. Like, and I feel like that is what I'm trying to make this book do is be like, yo, if more of us believe this power that we have, even when people are trying to convince us we ain't got it, yep. we can move mountains. Imagine if somebody told you, and I'm sure you have, because you are a black woman, not just in regular tech, because there's, there's tech and then there's tech. Yeah. Energy and power is tech. It's tech, I agree. Tech. So you're a black woman in that. So I know you've heard all the no's. You've heard all the motherfuckers who've tried to laugh you out the room. And if you let them convince you that, they, that you didn't belong there, you wouldn't be where you are today. Oh, yeah. And I think it's what the biggest issue we have is this like split reality of being aware and paranoid. Mm. So aware of the people not believing, aware of the people who are second guessing, aware of the people who don't understand why you're even here talking to them, people who are too busy trying to understand how you got here to even listen to what you're saying. But then the other side of it is you thinking about that when that's not actually what's happening. And so you're blocking yourself. Mm -hmm. And every single time that we kind of slowed down or slightly diverted off of what our true north is was because I second guessed myself or I just didn't believe that I should be the one at the helm of something huge. And I thought there was someone who I could bring in that was smarter or better or that this part of the work should be left for someone who's smarter or better. That's the theme. I'm going to be on. That's been my theme. Now, each time, though, when I would do that, <laughs> I would literally learn. I'd be like, I'm like, you ain't that smart. Like each and every time I'd be like, mm, I guess you good at this, but I still got to do it this way. Or, And now I have a decade of experience to be like, It's not even about thinking that you can do everything. It's about realizing that while you are trying to determine if you can or cannot do it, there are people who have no business doing it and taking your shit. Like, it's like, it's just, it's understanding that like, this should no longer be a question of, am I the best person to do something? It should be a question of, am I the worst? Everything should be the worst. And yes, we're sitting here and we're like, oh, but if I mess up, what if? Fuck that. Let it happen. Enough black women need to fall. We need to start taking shots that we might miss. We need to start doing things that could not work out. Maybe it's actually good for the world to see that we're not just magical. We're actually just incredibly pragmatic, hardworking people. I want us to stop being so pragmatic. I want us to stop being so safe. Like, let, yes. us, let us look not so magical. Let us look fucking crazy a little bit. You know, because we need, we're not going to see who can actually make the leap for us to, to really move us forward exponentially in an accelerated way until we start taking some serious risks. You're and that's what, oh. That is it. That's Girl, it. listen, that, that is the realm that I'm in right now. Like, mm-hmm. literally, that is why I wrote this book. Because I'm like, I need us to actually start doing the thing that we feel unqualified for, yep. that we feel is bigger than us, that we feel like, oh, I got some nerve. Yes, because until we do that, we're going to stay on the ground. And while, yep. while we talk about magic, magic is in the air. Yep. What puts us in the air if we are constantly doing the thing that is touchable? Like, I need you to think, yes, I can absolutely build the infrastructure of a whole country so you can stop trying to build the infrastructure of a soccer ball. Yep. Because how do you get to the country if you're still in soccer ball thinking? Thank and you. And people are going to want to keep you in soccer ball thinking because that's where they understand. That's what, but you know what? It, it just, 
think about it this way. Like if us just doing our basic ass shit looks like magic to everybody else, imagine if we actually start some motherfucking sorcery. Because right now, if our basic ass shit, that's just magic. Black girl magic is like, bitch, I just tied my shoes. Like, you, what the hell are you? First of all, what are you doing over there? Because this is, we are, we are, as you said, we are on the ground just reaching and people are like, oh my God, it's magic. Bitch, jump, leap, jump. live your life. Because if they think this is magic, hell yes. If we actually start to leap, there will be no problems on this planet. No. We have been, we are so good at the basics that they already consider to be magic. Mm. As you said, but magic does not live on the ground. Magic's in the air. air. Like, and we got to get in the air. And we also have to not be afraid of falling. Because here's the thing about Mm -hmm. falling. Mm -hmm. We have enough soft spaces to land. Black women are each other's soft spaces to land. You just decided to do a project and was like, it didn't go well. We got you still. Exactly. We just like, hey. We'd be like, well, you know what? Bet, what's the next one? On to the next one. What's the next one we going loud? Exactly. Right? So we actually have yeah. to understand that for me, knowing that black women are my safe space and my soft place to land makes me want to leap higher. It mm. makes me realize that even if I fall, they're not going to let me hit the ground all the way. Because at the, uh, at, the, at the bottom of it, at the core of it, I have black women holding me up. It's why when I started my company, I was like, you know what? I don't know what this rider thing looked like. If it don't work out, I can still go sit on my mama's couch. I'd be all right. I won't be home. I'd be cool. A lot of people who are afraid to fail, your failure does not really look like failure because if your company fails, you're not going to be homeless. You got homegirls who are going to be like, anytime you need, come to my house. And you have a foundation. It's not like we out here jumping at the age of five. Most of us still have a... (laughs) You're never going to have a black girl just out the, like, not having a little bit of something. A little bit of something. But have you seen uh, Lovecraft Country? Lovecraft Country is a revolution, okay? Yo. Hippolyta. Hippolyta. The, the fact that like there was basically a parallel narrative of that whole thing, which was black women, especially black mothers, are time traveling superheroes. Yes. Like separate conversation, separate thing. Yes. Everything else happening, but also, hi, I'm a time-traveling superhero who can bring my daughter to the future to get a new arm to then bring her back because, you know, I be solving shit. <laughs> like, that Hippolyta episode in, is in itself a poem. Like, yep. I was just like, I have to watch it again because there's so much to grab from it. She said, name yourself. Name yourself. People are afraid to name themselves basic titles like writer, like inventor, yes, like visionary, visionary, poet, You're afraid to say photographer. It. Name yourself, and you name like, oh my god, that episode. I'm so glad you brought it up. Like that, that episode actually captures exactly what we're saying. Exactly. You don't belong on the ground, black woman. Exactly. Like she had to be pulled. She was like, "You're not in prison, but you want to be." Mm. or you're not in prison, but you think you are. It was something like that. Like, this is not prison. You're free to go. You're free, you're free to go if you can, because it's the exact same thing. It's like, we stay on the ground. We handle all this stuff. We're mad at everybody for keeping us on the ground. Bitch, no one told you you can't leap. It's true. When you did leap, your daughter then got attacked by some crazy man and lost, no, sorry, spoiler alert, but there are going to be consequences to us being a little bit selfish Yes. And that's leaping because, yeah, I'm not going to be able to have this money for you to get braces. I tried my idea. Just eat some carrots, brush your teeth and chill, Bobby. I'm trying something out. All right. Because guess what? Your dad don't give a shit about your braces. Your dad tried his idea. Why is it that I 
have to pay for your braces instead of launching my business idea. So guess what? You gonna floss and we gonna chill. We think our jobs on this earth as black women is to self-sacrifice for the greater good. Constantly. You don't have to sacrifice your dreams. You ain't gotta sacrifice who you are. Hippolyta got mad because she said, you let me shrink. In fact, you encouraged me to shrink. Yep. And what happens when, the, when we actually commit to not shrinking in this world no more and being like, I will go explore the cosmos. I'll be back. I'll be back. I'll, I'll be back. Me. When I'm back, whatever ends up mess, being messed up. I'll fix it. I'll fix it. It's cool. But I'm going to need to take this time. And his thing, like, and George... Or what, what, he was a good dude. Her husband was a good man. People assume that it's like the, the messed up Ike Turner dude who's doing it. Nah, it's, the ni- it's, it's a nice, good man that, of course, you love. That's still, you know, he's, it's, I, I don't know. He, it's not his job to think about this for you. No. Like, you have to decide what you demand. You have to be able to say, listen, I'm going to have to be just a little bit selfish right now. But guess what? It is for the greater good. Because when you, like, when you let us out... Look at the, she came back with so much blue hair. She came back with like solutions and just like magic and just like a calm. And she was like effective and helpful in different ways. And yeah, to me, that episode is exactly what we're talking about right now. It's exactly what you're talking about in your book. Like name ourselves. Like, why is it that I had to practice when I was raising my round, my first round, I had to practice saying, I'm going to build the first billion dollar tech company in Harlem. I had to practice that. I had to practice, and even still right now, I have to practice it because investors are listening to hear the confidence in your voice. Yes. And it is delusional confidence that they're looking for. Because how else can you say something that isn't true today like it is true today? Yeah. But everyone else that they're giving money to, th- that's how they're speaking. Yes. Name yourself, name the situation. That's why I've been calling my book. I've been like, this book is a number one New York Times bestseller. Yep. I am naming it, claiming it, saying it, done. Done. The nerve, the audacity. We need the audacity. And and people are constantly telling Black women that we're too audacious. No. You're telling us we're too audacious for thinking we should exist. Wait till you actually see us and hear us claim our dreams and name ourselves in all of our bigness, oh, listen, we're about to... Well, to me, that's intimidation, too, because, again, they see it. You've chained me to the ground, like, and look what I can do. Like, I even said, I gave an interview last last week, and I was like, listen, like, 2020's been a crazy year, but, like, my company, we've had a vanguard year. We've had probably the best year. And people were like, well, how? And I was like, listen, this year has been hard, but my life has always been hard. Mm. Like... And the reality of the situation is if you're in the gym training with 30 pound weights, right? If someone hands you then a 45 pound weight, it's heavier, but it's not like I don't know how to lift weights. Mm. If you're just out running free, you've never been handed a weight in your life. And someone hands you a 10 pound weight, oh, you're going to fall. You're going to be like, the hell is this? You're not going to know how to, your grip is going to be wrong. You ain't going to know what you're doing. You might hurt yourself. So yeah, like I was like... You, the, what they hate, what they see is that when we do see ourselves, we do acknowledge the fact that, listen, you had me over here training in this Olympic pool. I see that I can swim. You mad because I'm like, if we go into these open waters, I'm going to fuck you up. You saying, I'm, I got, I'm too, I'm too braggadoc, I'm too this. Nah, I know who I am. And yes, you should be afraid. And like, yes, you should feel intimidated. And yes, this is me saying you created a monster. 
Like you created this monster. I find that even black men, the black men that do the best with black women are the ones who are just like, she's a queen. Yep. Like she, I'm like the black men who do the best are the ones who are like, my job is to protect this visionary. Like me and my fiance, we have an amazing CEO, COO situation. He, that, he can do a task like anything else. Great. He's just a task oriented man. And he was like, honey, you're the visionary and I can, I can handle a task list. I'm like, yes, yes you can, baby. Thank you. I am the visionary <laughs> of this situation and he can handle a task list. And it's, he's a he protects me and I create the world that he's protecting Mm -hmm. right like physically and spiritually and he's there and that's our balance and like it's he understands right he we have this mutual respect like I I truly truly believe even when you go back to that show Lovecraft Country I was like you notice how none of the ancestors who came back were men you know how it was just a series of black women Trying to help tick through whatever the hell he was going through. Yep. 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 That's because, look, I'm telling you, Black women are the spiritual grounding of the world. We're the conscience of the world. And when we realize our full power, like our full power and purpose for being here, when we realize that we cannot and should not apologize for whoever we are, how we take up space, meh. Listen, like how the Black ancestors came back, the Black women was like, I figured it out. Here's my power. I'm excited for us. I'm excited for us. Yes. And get that. And honestly, that's why I love how we show up and how our friends show up in this world as these black women who were like, listen, we've learned. We are trying to understand. Most our educated group in the United States. Most like. We start businesses. We over here running stuff and. And yeah, we, I think, I think the- You get old white men elected. We're just out here. We out here, just being everything and being bomb. Out here. And and while doing it. I'm just, you know, and and that's the thing. I think Zora Neale Hurston, I think I actually said this quote back when we first met, uh, like in 2016, I was like, as hard as it is to be a black woman, I would not trade it for the world. I don't want to be a black man. I don't want to be a white woman. I for damn sure don't want to be a white man. Like it's like, like I, because when we win against all odds, now that's a story. Now that's a story. You know, when I, when I raised uh, my series A, at the time, it was the largest series A that a black woman had raised in history. It was only $7 million though. Largest for a black woman average that year. So on one hand, it's like, damn, I had to go to Harvard twice and be on the cover of Forbes and do all this shit to do the average that a white guy did. I had to do so much more for something like that was nothing. However, no one was talking about the average white guy and what he did. So on the flip side, though, while I had to do so much more by getting up there and not only was did I have something to be proud of, like did I have something to kind of say, but... I also then had to show that because I've done more, I'm actually better suited. I'm more likely to do well keep, as we keep going yep. because I've, I had to work a little harder. I had to fight for it. And so like, I, I love the, I love the pressure. Like I think it was, was it Jamie Lee King that said, um, pressure is a privilege. Mm-hmm. I love the pressure 
that creates the diamond that is a black woman. Mm. I love what it has turned me into. Um, and without all those different pressure points, like I wouldn't be who I am. I wouldn't have accomplished what I've, what I've accomplished. And um, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It, I feel like a superhero. I feel like Hippolyta. I mean, most black women, if we really sit with it, that's, don't we feel like superheroes? That's what it is. We know we do. We know it. And that's even the black women who don't speak in their minds, you know you feel, like that's one thing, come on. We definitely feel like superheroes. Even if we don't have the blue hair or the this or the that. Even some of if us do have the blue hair. You some know, of us why do. Not? Why not? We feel like superheroes. And that's, that's a special feeling. That's a, I'm grateful for that feeling. Um, and I love, I love our Black men who see that the, the power of their Black women and take care of us and protect us as like the biggest asset of our community, right? Black men who are like the biggest asset, the thing that continues life is a woman. And so I'm going, we're going to protect, our job as black men is to protect what continues our life and their power and their strength in protecting us, I love and I honor and I respect. Yep, I, I, it, there, there's something amazing about being supported by a black man who sees you. Like, yeah. yeah. So I, I definitely feel and honor that. And I think combined, a black man who sees the power in black women and a black woman who sees her full power together yes. are world changing, generational curse breaking. Yes. Who have to find each other. We have to start finding more of each other in that way and affirming mm -hmm. each other. So I look, listen, that's where I be. We're already. In fact, just let me know the hashtag because listen, <laughs> listen one, one year into marriage, I'm like, bruh, there's something that is heart fulfilling that lets you know that like you were supposed to find this person who's supposed to be your co-pilot yes like yes. you need co-pilot because listen the black woman after a while we just gotta go lay our burdens down mm. put our on, and have somebody be like i got you for and real that's amazing i call my bonnet my thinking cap now because i saw <laughs> this like meme i saw this chick say hold on let me put my thinking cap on and she put a bonnet on i was like yes that's so sometimes it. my baby chris will be like baby maybe you just need to put your thinking cap on and you feel i was like you right baby you right thinking <laughs> cap on Yo, <laughs> yo, that's hilarious. Not the thinking cap. I'll be like, let me put my, that's I'll be it. Thinking. I'll, be like, I'll be thinking some good shit with this thing on. <laughs> See, bonnets are magical. So you put that on, you're like, oh, yes. You feel free. You're like, I got to worry about shit. I just got, let me just solve world hunger real quick. <laughs> yo, and look, look, this this is amazing because, and I think this conversation is exactly why I decided to rename this podcast Professional Troublemaker. Yes. Because... There are some people in this world who are making some good trouble. So mm. what do you think? What is your definition of a professional troublemaker? Ooh. I do consider myself a professional troublemaker. Yes. I have never, ever accepted the status quo as my default. There were so many different things that people kind of said, well, this is how they should be done. Oh, well, you should consult for two years before you go to business school. You should do this. You should do that. Nah. Um, I see the world not as it is, but as it should be. Mm. I, in both the macro and micro moments, create my space, create the world, right? And so a professional troublemaker is someone who's 
not even just willing, obsessed with the idea of molding their world, period, period, that's it. Like Mm. the world is not a fixed porcelain structure, it is clay. And so, and, and that's it. That, that, is, that is it. There's always a way to kind of create something that works for you. And what, what is trouble, right? If it's not kind of like, when you look at like, like the shaking of, a, of, 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 of um, you know, of an ocean of waves, like it's, it's disruption. It's, yes, there's like kind of an instability, but that instability comes because there's something that's transforming. There's something that's changing. Yeah. Right? And so... That is a professional troublemaker, uh, 150%. Oh, I'm, t- I'm telling you, you are absolutely one of my favorite professional troublemakers. <laughs> like, it's, it's dope to exist in a world where you know there are others like you, who you're like, you know what, I might be disrupting some stuff, but she over there doing it too. So, hey, girl. Hey, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> I was like, yo, got some tips. You know, when it gets hard, we have each other to, yep. to battle through some things out of. We have each other to support and be like, yo, you got this. I know it's tough. Keep going. Yep. And that's really affirming. I, I love it. Like I'm, I'm so excited that I meet other professional troublemakers end up becoming like sisters with them. So then as you're doing all of this troublemaking, what are you doing to take care of yourself? Oh Lord. Well, you know, a big thing was definitely getting a bit of a routine on self-care. And so it hasn't been perfect during the pandemic but there are a couple of things that I still just kind of like hold true. So one is water. This might sound ridiculous, but literally on my Zooms now, people, I introduce myself and I introduce my gallon of water. Okay. And uh, I try to drink a gallon of water every single day. I know it sounds ridiculous, but that's a thing. Drink a gallon of water. Um, meditate. Again, sometimes I, I don't do it for a couple of weeks, but I try to meditate for 15 to 20 minutes every single day, or at least five days a week, um, work out, like sweat in some way. Like even, even, with, even if I have to have a mask on, I'm boxing three days a week. Like that's, that helps me. Um, and then you obviously try to be intentional with what you're eating. As I had mentioned earlier though, pandemic Ikebe came through. You know what? I like it. I like it. Cause there's a lot, it's just about to pop off. I need to know that I got some, you know, like, you know, if I fall, I'm going to bounce back up because my ass is just like, bam. I'm like, so I just, there's a lot popping off. So I'm, I'm cool with pandemic Ikebe at this moment. Um, <laughs> my dad will pull it back together for the wedding photos. Yes, yes. Like that. Um, and sleep, right? Don't sleep nearly as much as I need to. But I, for damn sure, I'm not doing this like all night or bullshit. Who Hell? got time for that? I can't even. What? Do it. No. I'll be at one certain time. I'm like, I'm going to sleep. Like maybe once every like like four months, I might have to work like late, late, like, and it's more because some shit just like popped off, and it's like, all right, fine, I'm gonna get this done. Otherwise, it's like I'm tired. Like I'm going to sleep. I'm gonna get done tomorrow. Damn, I ain't killing myself. So <laughs> even, even if it's just like trying to get six hours of sleep a night or something, it's like, can't be out here only getting two hours of sleep to, acting like that's a, like something to brag about. That don't make no sense. No. Um, and so, yeah, and just spending time with my partner and, you know, making sure we do our little date nights. Ha- Halloween right now, we're, you know, we're like, oh, we can't really sell. We're still going to dress up. We're going to have some cute little outfits. <laughs> or Friday night, we're like, I'm going to be sister night. 
which, you know, Regina King, and the way she killed it in The Watchmen. Oh, and he's going to be Dr. Manhattan. He got ski. Go wear blue. And we're going to do that cute thing. Okay. And then the next night, I'm going to be Beyonce from Mood Forever. And he's going to be Jay-Z, right? I got myself a long blonde braid wig and like I'm making like I'm making my little leopard print stuff that she had people working on for a thousand hours and I'm over here just trying to like Yo. we got our little things. We made our little house like our house um part of our house like a little haunted mansion. And what's crazy is like it's again we don't have people coming over. So basically we are just consistently scaring this week our trainer, my makeup artist, and my hairstylist consistently. <laughs> Yeah. Like full on, like scare. Like. Y'all are nuts. That's that, it. Got that. Those are the things you got. Make time to laugh, yo. No, that's actually like good self care. You over here drinking water, getting good sleep, <laughs> exercising, ma'am. You you've actually checked off all the boxes. Okay, Fine. you've checked off all the boxes. Eating okay, like oh, Fine. you're winning at self care. You are winning at self care right now that because the water thing I gotta get better at. I bought myself a gallon bottle, but it yeah. wasn't you know, Cornell butter for me. But it doesn't have the straw, so now I gotta get a new one because without the straw, I gotta like pour it. It's in. hard. I just bought, I just have straws, like, and I know it's like, you know, I try to like get ones that I can reuse and stuff. But I literally just, because this is too heavy otherwise. So some, you just have this little straw here. To like, <laughs> I, I need to get better on my water thanks. intake. I do. I actually do. You, you just, you might have uh, inspired me to make sure I'm getting back on that. Yo, critical. Critical that stuff. Gallant. That gallant. Yo, Jess, this conversation was energizing to my whole spirit. This like, is mad fun. Like, yo, I'm like, the gems that you have <laughs> dropped? Listen, so how can people support? I mean, you have a lot of work that's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. What's going on? Okay, so when this comes out, what's going to be popping off? What's going to be popping off? Well, listen, if you're not already... You got to follow, uh, follow the company, you know, follow me on our social media, right? So I'm Jesso Matt, J-E-S-S-O-M-A-T-T on Instagram, on Twitter. Um, I don't really use anything else. I barely use Twitter, mostly IG, but you know, it's yeah, all there. Company, Uncharted Power, you know, check out what's popping off. We are building a first of its kind, sustainable, smart community in Poughkeepsie, New York, actually where I was born right? Like about 90 minutes out of the city. And what we're doing is literally using our technology to address how infrastructure is built in this community so that the citizens themselves can get access to resilient power infrastructure, to better sidewalks, better roads, broadband, all the things that they want. And we're building that. We're actually going to be breaking ground. So you could go and check that out in Poughkeepsie if you want. When this comes out, you could just drive up there, be like what's popping but watch this space because once we've shown the world how this works, we're gonna be signing up cities. We're signing up cities domestically, we're signing up cities internationally, and we're just gonna start scaling. That's it. Because as far as I'm concerned, no matter who wins this election, this shit's not gonna, it's not gonna work no more. Not, it ain't gonna be like this. We cannot continue to move forward like this. It's, I, I believe in equity, I believe I believe that the future is bright. Uh, and so the biggest way to support is, you know, if you want your city to be next, go to our website, u-pwr.co, sign up to learn more, find out what's going on. And like, we will have information so that you can go and start to talk to your local mayor and be like, yo, what's popping? What's going on? 
how do we make sure that our city gets this next? And then we'll do our best to get to you. Epic. So yeah, Jess, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, girl. Stay safe out here. Yo, this conversation was so dope. So dope. I loved her talking about using resources, your brain, the money you make, as a tool for good. For me, that's what sets Jessica apart as a professional troublemaker and not just a successful businesswoman. She's not just going after the dollars. She's taking care of business, for real, but she's asking those bigger questions. Are you creating a better world for people? Are you making sure more people on the planet feel good about the lives that they've lived? Are you using the gifts God has given you to make an impact? Big questions to ask yourself as we're sitting here at the beginning of a new year. And honestly, those are questions I always ask. So be sure to follow Jessica on social media. She's at Jess O'Matt. That's J-E-S-S-O-M-A-T-T on Instagram and Twitter. And follow her company, Uncharted Power, at Uncharted Power on Instagram. And much love to Chicago Recording Company, who I've been partnering with on all things radio voice, y'all, including the podcast and my audiobook for Professional Troublemaker. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Professional Troublemaker podcast. If you loved what you heard, make sure you subscribe to Professional Troublemaker in your podcast platform of choice and share it with people. Let them know this is dope. Also, order my namesake book, Professional Troublemaker, the Fear Fighter Manual, anywhere that you buy books. I especially love when you buy it from independent bookstores. So go to professionaltroublemakerbook.com for more because this book is game changing. And I'd say that even if I wasn't the one who wrote it. And please make sure you rate this show and leave a comment with a five-star review, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you choose to listen. Feel free to also share some insights and whatever connected with you on social media. And be sure to tag us. We are at Professional Troublemaker on Instagram. And me, I'm at Lovey everywhere. Until next time, have the courage to speak your truth and show up as yourself. Create good trouble.